I've just caused myself a that's like an an, an aneurysm. Thirty seconds onto <laughs> my life. An aneurysm. <laughs> an aneurysm. <laughs> The Drop Back with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. We are back. Welcome to another episode of the Drop Back Podcast. This week I'm your host, Sam Wilson, and I am joined as ever by Sam Lewis. Hey Stan. Joe Costanzo. And Matt Burns Peak. How'd it do? How you doing, boys? Good. Going good. Excited for another week of uh, drop back football. Can't get enough of it, mate. Exactly. Yeah, it's once a week, so enjoy it while you can. So this week we're going to kick off the episode what with. Is... <laughs> it sounded so finite when you said it like that. I like it when we borderline threaten the audience. Why you can? I'm sure they knew what I was getting at. Um, Right, this week we're going to kick off with the Patriots 49ers game where we saw Cam Newton get benched in the third quarter for Jared Stidham. What went wrong for Cam in that game? I mean, he wasn't very good. I mean, it stems, stems from his accuracy <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it's, it's all from his mechanics. We were talking about it, uh, especially me and you. Matt doesn't understand what quarterback play is, so he wasn't getting too involved. Joe is asleep, so it's just me and you there. I'm permanently asleep, yeah. Um, but no, the point is that he doesn't. Weird. He does. He doesn't like rotate at the hips. It's all in his arm a lot of the time. Like sometimes he throws it fine. It's just really inconsistent. Yeah, his his whole yeah his whole lower body just seems completely rigid. There's no power being generated from his hips, and it's all coming from his from his arm. And all his power is coming from his arm, which means his accuracy obviously is compromised as a result of that. And we saw him make some incredibly questionably throws. For example, he threw like a wildly inaccurate low pick to Fred Warner and I think it was the first or second quarter. And mm-hmm. It was intended for Jacoby Myers on the crossing route. All he had to do was throw the ball in front of Jacoby Myers. Instead, he threw it down and below. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, it's he can't, because he can't step through his balls properly. What it means is that it cuts it off as he comes through. So that's why you got so many balls that are dying on him. And why, is that, low. why is it that he's just not stepping through? His, is, it, is it a due to like some of the injuries that he's had to deal with or like uh, it's weird to see someone's mechanics regress to that extent right I, I think he's, he's never got... had elite level mechanics he's always been enough had enough arm talent and athleticism to sort of make up for it I think partially I don't know if he's trying to get the ball out quickly he's not overly confident in his receivers because to be fair his weapons haven't been helping him out no they're not and they're trash. They're all rubbish. In terms of confidence, though, you'd, you'd think he'd be urgent in the pocket. You'd think he'd be urgent to get the ball out quickly, but obviously his receivers don't have as much talent as he would like. But he just looks so relaxed there. Mm. He, he's not in a proper stance. He's not, he's not moving around the pocket. His pocket presence just simply isn't there. He's standing completely rigidly still in the pocket and just delivering wildly inaccurate throws time after time, which led to his benching. It's, um, his, it's his drop back as well. He doesn't generate any sort of tension in his body to sort of spring forward. It's, he sort of slowly ambles backwards. He doesn't really prepare himself to throw by the time he's hitting that back step. Like Stan said, it's all just arms slinging it. Yeah. Somebody who's such a dynamic runner with the ball, like there's no dynamism in the way that he sets himself up to pass, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, and if we just move on to that, he's running with the football as well. 
there were a couple of uh, Veer option uh, read plays that he was running. And he looks like he wants to get injured, honestly. The way he plays, the way he protects his body, and the fact that he just doesn't protect his body. He dives headfirst into contact every single time. There is no slide. There's no effort to protect himself. And considering he's coming off quite a major injury, he doesn't seem to really care about protecting his body and extending his career at all. I mean, I think with this sort of stuff, to a certain extent, it's almost like you can't teach a, an old dog new tricks, right? Like, he's never been that guy to, like, slide and stuff like that. He almost, he's, his running style has always been sort of almost actively seeking out contact. Um, mm. And I think he hasn't, maybe that's something that he, he needs to consider. As you said, with the injuries, you can't do that for a whole career and and stay healthy and in your peak, peak you know, I don't know. I think if you take those inverted veers that Stan's talking about, a lot of those he's diving like at the downs marker. So Cam Newton was slated when he doesn't dive on the ball in the Super Bowl. He, he, people have a go at him because he doesn't look like he cares. If he's sliding instead of getting a first down, people are going to criticise him either way. I that think, is true. Yeah. I, I don't know where you draw the line because I think that's a bit harsh to criticise him on that. Like If he's 40 yards downfield, made the play and then still lowering the shoulder, that's a different matter. But to get first down... No, but it's the fact that um, Josh McDaniels, he doled up two of these very early on in the first quarter. And it wasn't, he was not near the down marker at all. You know, I think it was first and 10 or second and long, some sort of situation like that. And he just lowers his head, lowers his shoulders going into contact. There's no effort to protect his body. He, he looks like he's a running back the way he runs with the ball. He doesn't look like a quarterback trying to protect himself for throws later on in the game. And mm. obviously due to the Niners shutting down his running game, shutting down the Patriots running attack largely, they forced him to pass the ball a lot more. And that essentially was his downfall. And that was the Patriots' downfall at the end of the day in that game. Well, this is the other part of it, right? Like, how much of this is down? Do do we put on on Cam? Because obviously, he's he's the one we're talking about mostly because of those sort of very obvious glaring mistakes that he made. But as a unit, that Patriots' offense has just been putrid for the last few weeks. Like, I don't know how much of that is Cam's fault and how much of that is it's not a good offense. It's since well, I the think, positive yeah. test. It's since the when the first two weeks of the season, we thought, you know, the Patriots were very run first team, um, but all in all, they looked good. They that what Cam's offering looked looked, you know, uh, more efficient and like it, it would gel quite well with Belichick's offense. But I just think it all went downhill ever since that positive test and when he's come back, whether it's the few weeks of not, you know, getting real reps, um, like we said, the throwing motion, that kind of extreme Philip Rivers nonsense. Um, but also you have to look at just the areas, what's around him at the moment. We, we've all said throughout the season, going into the season, that this is a team that has a lot of the talent has been stripped from the offense. And also the Pats defense in that game were, weren't good at all i mean they were getting burnt on outside runs the entire game um bill that's Berger. another thing we we spoke about that they've lost their whole linebacking call they and their strength remains in defending the passing game so yeah. i mean that it's a bad matchup against the niners but defenses have stopped respecting the pass first of all cam hasn't been as good as he'd hope he played but like joe said he's not got any help in, out there I think as well, um, and part of the reason why they haven't been able to stick to that run-first approach is, they, I mean, they lost Sony Michelle after week three, right? And like, I know Sony Michelle might not be like that elite tier of running back, but he's been a serviceable workhorse and they haven't been able to fill that gap, especially in the run game. Um, and like you said, Slew, if, if, they, if 
if they were leaning on on that sort of run first approach, if they don't have that as a threat, then yeah. you know Cam's in a world of trouble. And if it, if it's going to be all on Cam Newton's arm, then we know that he's not that type of quarterback. Yeah, I I understand, but I don't even care about it all being on Cam's arm. There's no one on that th- on that team that can even beat single coverage one on one consistently. So I don't know. Uh, they need to get a receiver in before the trade deadline. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So, Who do you reckon they could get? Um, who they could get? Like realistically, I'm not sure that the AJ Patriots Green. Be a, but I mean, he's not a big Michael great. Thomas has been in some rumours, but that's. I'm um, not sure the Patriots should be a team aiming to buy at this deadline anyway. So, we'll wrap up the whole Cam Newton story. We'll revisit back in a couple of weeks, see how things pan out for him. Meanwhile, the Cardinals had a date with the Seattle Seahawks at State Farm Stadium this Sunday night football and they managed to come out with the win 37-34 and in overtime due to a clutch Isaiah Simmons inception followed by the Zane Gonzalez field goal who saw this one coming because I certainly didn't I like that you described it as a date stand because the Cardinals definitely got lucky with this one. Oh yeah 100% <laughs> you've been working on that all week <laughs> you wrote that down didn't you <laughs> no it's all, it's all in the flow of the moment I don't, I don't plan much in terms of my, uh, my scripts in it was. It followed inside my bold prediction, though. I did say it was going to be a shootout. You did say it was a shootout, but I bet you didn't have the Cardinals coming on top. I don't know what you talked about, mate. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think they were they were leading for all of zero seconds throughout the entire game. Um, hey, but we we won right we into the, the second that count. So, the, and to be honest, this game is this win is as much on Vance Joseph as it is on anyone else. His play calling in that overtime, Matt. I know you hate it because you don't like Vance Joseph, but he had Russell Wilson absolutely confused during the overtime didn't know where the pressure was coming from and that's not something you see from Wilson often mm. absolutely I mean Russell Wilson in that game in general made a couple of questionable questionable throws like his pick that he threw to Patrick Peterson he found DK Metcalf in the back of the end zone long pick Patrick Peterson was just standing there to pick him off and then obviously the crucial one in overtime the Isaiah Simmons pick like mm. that looked like something out of Madden he just jumped he jumped across the ball no one could have seen him there and that's still the deal. Is his fifth offense, his fifth defensive snap of the day, and he made the play where it counted. So props to Isaiah Simmons. Impact. Exactly. That's Going right. forward, do we see the Cardinals as a team to possibly push for this division title? Seeing they've just taken out the current division leaders, the Seattle Seahawks. No. Ooh. I mean, I don't think it's that cut and dry, Slew. Like, I mean, I don't. I just don't think they're there yet. I'm still not convinced by. Um, Cliff's um, play calling. I think Kyler had to bail him out of quite a few plays. I don't know. I think they got lucky as well how porous that Seahawks defense is as well. They were in a hold down early on against a better defense. They don't come back into that game. Yeah. Absolutely. And to think as well, we could have won that game potentially before the overtime. The overtime wasn't necessary. In Early on in the game, Cliff Kingsbury decided to pass on a field goal and go for a fourth and short conversion. He failed it. If we had those extra three points... There would have been no overtime. We would have won that game fair and square outright. And that shows, that, that, that does show for me how we could have potentially come out and just, yeah, won that without the overtime and that we were the better team on that day completely, I feel. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, I, I did think it was, you know, it was quite an interesting game. And, and you know, like you, like you said before, Stan, um, Kenyon Drake being injured sort of paved the way for Chase Edmonds. Um, and Jason Edmonds showed that potential that he's flashed at times, and like 
had a really, really good game. And it makes for a very interesting dynamic in that backfield now. Obviously, Kenny Jake is likely to be out for a little while. But when he comes back, they've got to find a way to be able to get Chase Edmonds the ball more as well. It should be it should be close to a 50-50% snap share between the two running backs, if not Chase Edmonds receiving more snaps. He's consistently showed that he's a better running back. He's more of a fighter. He's more of a north-south downhill runner than Kenyon Drake is. Kenyon Drake bounces around too much. Edmonds gets us the odds we need when we need them. I think he gives you a little bit more versatility as well. He seems to be a bit shiftier in the passing game. I don't know if that's just me seeing highlights, but I never see Drake make the same moves Edmonds does to make a big play as much. I feel like Edmonds can do a lot of what Drake can do, but it's not the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you all there. Let's, Let's move on to Bills versus Jets. We saw Josh Allen, like Cam, he took steps back this game. His mechanics depleted and for the, for the entire first half, the New York Jets were the better team, which is something I never thought I'd hear, thought no. I'd heard say on a podcast. This was such a weird game, right, guys? Like, I, I was, I was following it. Um, I was following it on Red Zone, and just every time they were like, "Oh, I'm going to cut to the Bills and Jets," I was like, "Okay, surely it's a Bills touchdown or something, right? Like, surely this lunacy of the Jets being on top is is going to run out." And then, just like you said, for the whole of the first half, it was just like, "Oh, Jets making another good play," and it was almost like tear up the form book of you know, these Jets have been absolutely terrible. The Bills at times this season have looked really impressive. Um, but what I would say is I think uh, Greg Williams deserves quite a lot of credit, not just from this game, but the, the previous game as well against the Dolphins. In terms of their third down defence has been pretty strong. And I, I do feel, and I you know obviously we're going to play the Adam Gase bias, but I, I do really genuinely feel that the Jets are being let down horrendously by the offence. And they actually have some stuff in place on defense, which is really promising and can be built around. That was something I wrote down as well, is that it, it, the Bills made the Jets' defense just look very capable, especially in that first half. Their red zone defense in particular throughout the entire game, I mean, they held the Bills only scored field goals. So that, that says a lot. And on the other side of the ball, the Bills' offense, I think, um, was just... a it was a bit shambolic, to be honest. There was a lot of overthrows from Allen. When it wasn't an overthrow, it just seemed to be like a lot of drop passes when it was on target. Just something wasn't clicking. I mean, he still had over 300 passing yards. It wasn't a terrible performance by Allen. I think this is more down to the Jets having really good red zone. They moved the ball on them. They just couldn't score, which against the better teams is going yeah, to hurt but the, them. The, the drop passes would come in like key moments, like third down conversions. Yeah, I don't think you can blame Allen for the drop passes. No, I, I'm not oh, saying okay. it was Allen's fault. I was saying that Bill's offense in general yeah. needed to click more on that. On the topic of the Jets' offense and how much better they were in this game, we've got a listener question in from Nathan Barker. Question for discussion for you guys, and hopefully you haven't talked about this, and I'm sorry if I've messed it up. I I listen to you while I work, and sometimes I just miss it, so I do apologise. Do you think Sam Darnold's actually a good quarterback, or do you think Adam Gase is the reason why he's not playing as well? Because if you look at what happened with Ryan Tannehill, his last um, quarterback um, and head coach before he went to Tennessee, was Adam Gates. Now look at Ryan Tannehill now, playing some of the best games of his life for the Titans. So do you think that 
for the Jets, it's not actually Sam Darnold, even though he's still a very young quarterback, but it's actually Adam Gase being the cancer and the poison of that franchise. Well, first of all, thank you very much for your question, Nathan. And if any of you listeners have any questions for us, feel free to DM us on Instagram at the dropback, and we'll be sure to feature them in our next show. As we saw this week in the first half, in, in the brief chances he was given, Sam Darnold looked like a far improved quarterback. Now, part of this was to do with the fact that Adam Gase actually handed over play-calling duties to the um, offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, Dowell Loggins. He set up a far greater run game for the Jets. LaMichael P. Ryan and Frank Gore, they dominated the first half. And the play actions that they set up off those runs in the first half particularly, they were successful. Donald was accurate. He made a couple of throws in tight windows. But for some reason, the second half, they went away from that. And that was the reason... Because they couldn't they get the struck. run going in the second half. Yeah, mm. the, the Bills clocked onto it because they knew that they were, they were running. They were run, a run first I, team primarily in that game. I think, this is, I think this is more on the Bills than anything that the Jets did, to be honest. We've already seen throughout the season that the Bills haven't been able to stop the run. This is nothing new that the Jets did especially well. I think if you look at what Sam Donald's stats are for the game, he only had 120 passing yards, two interceptions. So it's not like he lit the world on fire apart from, and it was just bad play calling that let him down. But some of those, one of those picks was terrible, just throwing it into double, triple coverage. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of it his growth has been stunted by being with Gase for his career. I know you've got, you say Tannehill, look how much he's improved. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to tell why we have while he's stuck in the situation. So he won't really know until he's given the chance with a new coordinator or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was, for me, it was only yeah, the first half where Donald looked like a functioning quarterback and a good NFL <laughs> quarterback. It was, no, it was just the second half, but the Bills, they clocked onto what the Jets were doing and the lack of play action passes that are being mixed in. So they could just set up for the run completely and that aided them in stopping the run. Mm. And then Sam Donald was back to all Adam Gay, Sam Donald, sadly. So He does get like sacked a lot, though. As well. he's, got, he's got no O-line and none of his weapons are getting open. I don't know, I don't know how much you can put on Darnold. Obviously, he's not blameless, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's a tricky one because I do kind of think that we've seen enough of Sam Darnold to sort of understand what sort of quarterback he is. And we'd sort of touched on it a bit briefly a couple of weeks ago, guys, when we were talking about him and Josh Allen and their tendency to make those plays out of nothing or when things break down. But early on, their inability to do make the right read when things go to plan. And we've, I think we've seen Josh Allen elevate that side of his game and, and, and gain that consistency in that area. Whereas, like I said, we're still sort of waiting for Sam Darnold to, to make the right reads when the play goes as planned. But the, um, that's the thing, though. The play doesn't go as planned majority of the time for Sam Darnold. He doesn't have a weapon. He doesn't have an O-line. And his offensive coordinator in previous weeks, Adam Gase, who's been play-calling, has just been calling completely bad plays. And we've touched on this from the week previous where we talked about the lack of outlets and lack of dump-offs for a young quarterback that Sam Darnold is. And that's the problem. Yeah, we can't evaluate Sam Darnold properly. I know it's been, with what, his third year in the NFL now. We still can't evaluate him properly because he's never been in a situation where a young quarterback is able to succeed at all. I mean, I, I, I have to say, Gaze, for me, is the main problem. But I do have very big question marks over Sam Darnold's ceiling in general. Like, no matter if he's with Gaze or fucking Andy Reid, like, I, I think there is, I think we're starting to become accustomed to 
a fairly obvious ceiling with Sam Darnold in terms of what he's going to give you. He's going to be turnover prone. He's going to occasionally make a wow throw. But he's, I don't think he's ultimately someone that you can rely on consistently. And I think that severely limits his capacity to be a franchise quarterback. Mm. And to be fair, this isn't anything new that you're saying about Donald. You yeah. were big on him coming out and like mm. you said, he's done, hasn't done it. He hasn't done anything to show that this isn't a him problem. Yeah, he said flashes, yeah. but all first round quarterbacks are going to have flashes because they've obviously got some physical talents. It's about the mental side of the game at this point. Yeah, agree with you there. Sam Donald, I, I mean, I wasn't hiring him either, but uh, he's still, yeah, he's missing it. He's got talent there. He could. I think he still has potential to be a franchise quarterback, not a high-end franchise quarterback, but a franchise quarterback nonetheless. I was just going to say, I'd like to see him be able to throw the ball without someone in his face half the time mm. because he gets a lot yeah. of QB hurries, a lot of sacks. I mean, there were six sacks in, in the last game against the Bills. The thing I don't is... think we can properly talent evaluate until he has some sort of O-line there. Uh, Beckton is good, but otherwise it's... But also, we don't even know if he's going to get a chance again because the likelihood is that they end up getting Trevor Lawrence. And then... Do you think so? Do yeah. you think there's any... Right. any... Despite Trevor Lawrence's noises about potentially not coming to the NFL. Yeah. No, nah, mate. Say... I, think that, I think that's bad. I'd, I'd like to see it. He's not actually going to turn down millions of dollars to stay in college another year. You don't know what freak thing could happen. Yeah. I, I can't see that happening. I think, I personally think if Jets pick number one and Trevor Lawrence will stay in college, that's my take on it all. The Jets have been proved to be a poisonous organisation. We've got like a top quarterback prospect, according to quite a few draft analysts. We've got Sam Darnold coming out. He was touted quite highly, comes into the Jets. We've heard nothing from him since. Are we going to have an Eli Manning situation again? I think it they said this what last happened. Year, I think it de- well. exactly. I think it depends what happens as well with the organisation. If they if they get a good coaching staff, which they should hire someone before drafts have to declare, then it may not be an issue, but. Is it a much bigger issue to go to the season with Adam Gase? Then, hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't think he's going to survive Black Monday. If I'm honest, I mean, he could he could even be gone sooner than that, right? Um, I think if I'm if I'm in charge of the Jets, then I'd rather have Greg Williams for the remainder of the season and try and you know have that defense first ethos to carry us into the new season and then rebuild the offense rather than sort of keep struggling mm. away and trading. Well, Greg Williams, he always encourages people, he always gets his players to buy in. They do play for him. We saw it when he took over at Cleveland. And that's just something, that is one of the big things that Adam Gator struggled. You can talk about all his failures as an offensive mind as well, but his players don't it's seem to man, want to play yeah. for him. I mean, arguably his biggest issue, as you, as you said, Slew, is his man management. He is, seems to constantly be at loggerheads with one or two people in the locker room at any one time. It was in, did, did exactly the same thing in Miami. Like his inability to just sort of bring people together under the same sort of plan and the inability for him to be able to handle big personalities has severely handicapped, you know, his team's performance and he doesn't seem to be learning from it. It keeps happening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Other than that, he's great. <laughs> Other than that, he's great. Now, Another quarterback taking the same draft class as Sam Donald was Baker Mayfield, and he went number one overall to the Cleveland Browns. And we've had our concerns about Baker on this podcast. We've had our concerns over whether he can be a franchise quarterback for the Browns and win them games with his arm when they fall behind. Now, this week, he, could, he proved he could do that. In his second half, how many incompletions did he throw? Was it, you, could, you could count them on one hand, pretty much. I think it was and, one or two. It was one or two. Like eighteen passes with no incompletions. At it was one. twenty. He he started off the game zero and five 
with an interception, and then the next 20 passes were 20 for 20 with four touchdowns. And of course, he, and of course he wrapped up the game with a deep ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones in the back right corner of the end zone to lock them up the game and get them the win over the Bengals. And that, that performance warranted him the Offensive Player of the Week award. How do we feel about Baker Mayfield after this half, or is half of football not enough? The Bengals. Ooh. Like, we get through the... It's, we, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen that Baker Mayfield meme cycle as well, that he does something good, gets cocky, media turns against him, has a bad game, is going to have a comeback, and it just goes round and round. I, I don't know. Oh, I, 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 always, I like Baker Mayfield. I mean, I've never understood all these people that dislike him and then want him to fail because of his personality. Yeah. I've got no real issue with that. I think the bigger issue we've got to look at is why he plays better without OBJ. I never thought him and OBJ never had any sort of chemistry going throughout the whole of OBJ's stint at the Browns. I thought sometimes he's trying to almost force the ball to OBJ in situations where just to get him touches and it it never worked. And it was weird to see, obviously, after throwing that pick in the in the first quarter, OBJ went down with an ACL injury now, out for the season. It'll be interesting to see throughout the rest of the games about OBJ, how well he performs. Because when Peoples-Jones stepped up to the plate, had a bit of a game, oh didn't he? I'm Rashad Higgins. Boy. Yeah, not only did, did Peoples-Jones catch the game-winning touchdown, he also sent Stan's mind into overdrive because he hasn't shut up about Peoples-Jones since the start of the season. Hang on a second. I haven't, I've hardly mentioned Peoples-Jones since the start of the season. I think, you've mentioned, I think you've mentioned Peoples-Jones more than he's warranted before this game. Okay, I'll agree with you on that, on that, on that basis. <laughs> I'm more surprised you guys aren't ribbing into me about Cam Akers, to be honest. Oh, no, I was talking to Matt about this earlier. I'm fuming yeah. about your Cam Akers previews. Right, in my, right, my defence of this issue, we'll just briefly touch on this before we move on. In my defence, <laughs> he's been injured, he's in a crowded backfield, and his O-line is terrible. The, two, of those, three, two of those three factors... Names. Yeah, two or, th- two or three factors you've just mentioned, the backfield and the O-line, you should were pretty prevalent before the season started. The injury one I'll give you. But it's they not like apply to Henderson as well and he's doing fine. Mm. All right, well we'll go back to the um, Browns topic because that's <laughs> the topic of the podcast. I don't know what you're doing living with all this Cameron Lakers nonsense. That, that's a topic for another week when he actually performs well. Right, so we so we can't talk about our hits only uh, misses only our hits stand. Look at me when I'm hosting. It's all what I've done well. Fucking <laughs> yeah, this guy. Um, I always thought he brought up Cam Akers, but anyway, go ahead Matt. Yeah, I mean go- Circling back to, to Baker Mayfield, um, it, it, it's sort of strange. And, and like you said, Slew, with this sort of, this cycle where he almost has to feel like everybody's down. Yeah, he has to feel like he's got a massive chip on his shoulder for, for him to get the performance out of himself to be able to, to do, like, do things like we saw in this game. Like, he doesn't seem to be able to have the ability to, to sort of, when everyone, when he's playing well, he can't, like keep it going. He has to feel like everyone's shit talking him or he's they inconsistent. Not well. I don't know if it's just the fact that the Browns are a team that can beat the worst teams and lose to the better ones. It may just be as simple as that. It may not have anything to do what what his motivation is. Yeah. The thing to OBJ maybe subconscious isn't the fact that oh I've got a great talent out there. I should try and get in the ball. Not I need to get to him. Otherwise he's going to get upset. Yeah. But no, no, I don't. I don't think it was that. I don't know. I just think the Browns lose to the good teams and they beat the bad teams. And yeah. from where they were a few years ago, it's an improvement. But where they had the potential to be, it's 
almost disappointing. I mean, it's hard to be disappointed as a Browns fan what you see on the field compared to what you have done. But yeah, the be ceiling crazy. is higher than what they're achieving right now. I, I, I do find watching the, the Browns on offense for the last couple of years has been quite confusing to understand what their identity is. They seem to, like, like you said, so sort of shoehorned these big names into roles and then sort of very artificially try and force feed targets to OBJ and stuff like that when the games aren't swinging that way. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not like they're doing it on tendency. They're basically, they're not reacting to what's happening on the field. They're just sort of almost being like, well, we need to, get OG, we need to try and get OBJ involved. If the run game's working, just stick with the run game. Absolutely. Like there, there, there seems to be that that rigid thing of you know these players need to be getting the ball x amount of times rather than just this is working for us right now. Let's stick with it. I don't know if it's these players need to get it this amount of time. It's just like you trust OBG to win a one on one more than you do somewhere else, so you don't feel the need to go through your progressions. Just on the topic of the Browns receiving core, we saw what happened last year with the Kevin Stefanski offense over it over in Minnesota with the Vikings. We saw a zone run scheme. Dalvin Cook in the backfield, you've got two elite receivers, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. A similar situation occurred where you've got Stephon Diggs, he didn't receive enough of the targets, didn't receive enough of the yardage share, and we saw he eventually requested a trade and he was traded away to Buffalo. Do the Browns really need two elite receivers in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., considering they're running a run-first scheme? Yes. That eventually stems around play-action play shots. Could they? Could those players be one of those players be turned into draft capital or a player where they'd be better suited elsewhere. Or, or cap capital, right? Like you could reinvest that money in other areas, in O-line, in those sort of things or on the defense. Like I think if you're going to commit to that run first approach, and we've seen it with, with, the, with the Ravens to a certain extent in terms of sort of hoarding running back and, and players that can run with the ball. Obviously it's different because they have Lamar as well, but sticking with that run first approach, yes, you need to have an elite receiver to keep the defense honest and be able to take those deep play action shots. But I don't know if two very sort of similar players, both, you know, with are gonna have high cap hits and you know, potentially cause a problem in terms of you know how you get them the ball. I don't know if that's the wisest way to spend that cap money. Absolutely. And you've essentially you've got first round pick at least just sitting there on your offense. If you trade away the Jarvis Landry, if we trade away Adele Beckham Jr., you could get a first-round pick. You could upgrade your defence, which is where the Browns are struggling, which is where the Browns need help. And especially if you're a run-first team, you have to have a strong defence because if you fall behind in games, then you have to go to the pass, you move away from the run, you move away from your identity, and that's how the, the loss essentially gets worse and worse. No, I, I disagree. I, I mean, don't think you can get a first-round pick either for... for... Especially right now with OBJ and that's, that's also another one. I just think we have seen them run the ball well, even with OBJ on the field. I think the difference is Baker needs to be smarter where he's throwing the ball. We've seen this year with the Vikings; they still do have two really good receivers. Thielen's elite. Justin Jefferson at the moment is the best rookie receiver, so it's not like they got rid of Stefan Diggs and didn't add another receiver. They still have those two receiver outlook. So, I think if you get rid of OBJ. Yeah, maybe you get a bit more, but you, what you lose on offense is more than what you're going to gain. But essentially, to fill that number two slot, you could literally just sign any old number two receiver. But Jarvis Landry isn't a number one receiver. Mm. No, but he's not the number one receiver in that offense. Um, in the Cleveland offense, Odell Beckham Jr. obviously is the number one receiver. You trade away someone like someone like Landry, you get you get any old free agent wide receiver, say like a Cole Beasley type, a John Brown type off the, off the free agent market, you've got your number two receiver spot locked up. 
is that not better than having two elite receivers sitting there on the on the on your squad eating up cap? And I'd rather have, have a Jarvis Landry than I don't know. I, I'm not I sure how Jarvis... confident I'd be going into a game with Cole Beasley as my number two. I think he's a fantastic number three. I don't think he's a number two. Sorry, I should have probably used a better example because obviously Cole Cole Beasley's just like a primarily Cole Beasley is primarily a slot guy. Mm. John Brown would be, be perhaps a better example. He's just a guy you could pick off the free edge market, that sort of caliber of receiver. Obviously, you'd prefer to have Jarvis Landry as your number two, but it's a trade-off that I would be willing to make as the Cleveland Browns GM. As the defense is weak and they've got to improve it to win games, simple as. Maybe, but I don't know how much, you, like you said, there are good receivers available. I don't know how much you're then going to get for a Jarvis Landry that you can, he'll be downgraded. But how much is someone going to give, if there isn't that much difference, how much is someone going to give up for Jarvis Landry? Yeah. I reckon they could still warrant it first. There are GMs out there. I don't you think you'll get a first, first for Jarvis, Jarvis Landry. Landry. I think you struggle. I, I think the problem with Jarvis Landry is that he doesn't, he's not a prototypical number two and he's not a prototypical number one. He's sort of somewhere in between where he doesn't have the consistency of hands that you can throw him things over the middle he's, and he's, he's going to catch everything. We've seen him drop a few passes. He dropped a couple of passes okay. at the weekend. But Do we think that's his rib injury that he's wary of? He's playing with like a cracked rib. Potentially, but we have seen this from him for a while, right? But what he will do is make the outstanding catches that he has very little right to go up and get, which is a sort of, which is more what you look for with your number one guy, right? So he doesn't really give you the sort of consistent, easy five, six, five, six seven yards on a regular basis as a number two. But then he flashes that potential to be able to pull off the, the amazing play. So it's, I do, I do sympathise that I feel it would be difficult to properly game plan in a way that that works to both him and OBJ's strengths in the same lineup. Mm. Yeah, I I think just on the note of what what you just said, Matt. I think on the other side as well, OBJ has had a lot of drops this year as well. I think it's just a general. It could be like we said with the whole forcing the the catchable balls to OBJ and everything like that. But yeah, something isn't gelling. Yeah, we'll see now. Now that it's OBJ is obviously injured, it'll be. Interesting to see how the offense reacts to that and, and where the game plan goes as a result. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting thing to look in, look in on a couple of weeks' time as well. And now, Slow, I hear you've got some game picks for us. Yeah, I've got some results from last week's thing. Wow, I had them ready for us. Like that. Wow. So, we have actually extended the lead at the top. So, it's been a pleasure, fellas. I don't bother doing this segment. <laughs> Matt, so the overall standing is Matt has slightly caught up. He's now 65, 39 and 1. Joe was 66, 38 and 1. Stan, 67, 37 and 1. And I am sailing away at 70, 34 and 1. Jesus. It's a whole three God, games it. to play with, fellas. It's, a, it's actually fairly tight, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm surprised, based on how often we do pick different teams rather than... There's only there was only like one week where we picked a lot of the same picks. How yeah. tight it is! Yeah, you're copying my picks that week. That week, that's right. Oh, wow. That was not a copy. It was pure coincidence. Winky dink. I'm catching up with you, Joe. <laughs> well, I'm not scared at all. I'm happy to go last. <laughs> <laughs> it means nothing to me, Matt. Yeah, you say that now, but if you were in first, you'd be fucking. Yeah, of course. Be, you'd be giving it the large one, mate. So I'm gonna fucking murder you in electrical. <laughs> Anyway, we will catch up on our game picks next week. But now it's time for this week's Drop Out Game of the Week. Woo! Games! Games! <laughs> this week we have the Steelers taking on the Ravens on oh. Sunday night. Wow, wow, we will. 
Well, we were indeed. Joe, you're Ravens versus the Steelers. How are you thinking? Are you confident about this? Oh, I'm a bit scared, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon there's a good chance we lose. Um, I'm going to agree with you, though. I'm being, I'm being completely, you know, I'm, I'm trying, trying my best not to be uh, a biased bunny. You get, uh, you get honesty on this show, which you got to respect. You do, indeed. Um, well, basically... It, Obviously, you can't go mention the Ravens without mentioning our newest acquisition. Marlon Humphrey. Unique. Ngakwe. Sorry, I meant Mark Andrews. I thought that's where he was going to go with it. <laughs> when you said you can't mention the Ravens without mentioning, you honestly could have picked about four players that you won't shut the fuck up about. Unique. Ngakwe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we picked him up for a cheeky little third and a conditional fifth just before the bye week. He's had the bye week to sort of settle in. Um, he came into the came onto our team with five sacks, I believe, so far in the season with the Vikings. So he's had a pretty he's quite up there in terms of uh, pass rushes. And yeah, I mean he he's a much needed acquisition to be honest. Because on other than Matt Judon, we've really struggled to get to the pass, uh, uh, get to the quarterback. Matt Judon was a lot better in previous years than than this year. So. If it ignites a fire up his bum to to play better, <laughs> <laughs> then I'm happy with that. I know he's he's had a few contract issues uh, playing under the franchise tag at the moment, but um, so he's in Gokwe, isn't he? Yeah, of course he does. But you know, he we've picked him up for essentially a third round pick, so I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, um, move. I, I put down the Ravens. We're gonna win if we force more turnovers on defense uh, we've been quite good on the turnover front this year if we force more turnovers then they get touchdowns and it's a pretty good chance we'll win and if we manage to actually impose our offensive plan our run first uh plan which will be very difficult against the Steelers front mm-hmm. I think um, well the turnovers front that's what almost cost the Steelers the game against the Titans last week yeah I mean we did all I think underestimate the Steelers all picking the Titans to win yeah mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, Roethlisberger threw, was it three picks last week when he was in a position where he didn't need to do such a thing? One of the picks was literally just a Hail Mary at the end of the second half. Okay, I'll give him two then. Still not great. And then one of them was literally like a battered up ball at the line of scrimmage, I'm pretty sure as well. Well, don't. So uh, Roethlisberger was pretty good last week. Careful with the football. We couldn't really blame him. We won out of a veteran QB. He really was. No, his, first, his first two picks were really not his fault at all whatsoever. They, they're not so no, They were partially his, his fault. He did throw them. So yeah. He could have not thrown the ball, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did, I think we did collectively sleep on the. Uh, on the Steelers a little bit, fellas. I, I think it's because now they expect them to be five slash six. I know. Yeah, I think this because on this podcast we do hold. I wouldn't say hidden prejudice because I think it's quite visible, but we hold the prejudice against Ben Roethlisberger, yeah. and yes. that may have crept into our predictions. And so we apologise to Steelers fans. I'd argue it was our love for Ryan Tannehill <laughs> over our hatred for Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. I I would just I would argue I didn't want to I didn't want to look dumb because the Steelers hadn't really played anyone good before last week. Okay, talk about Ryan Tannehill quickly. Can we just quickly touch on Joe your hot take this week posted on our account on Sunday evening? Remind us what it was. It, it was, was that wrong. Ryan Tannehill was going to throw five touchdowns and beat the Steelers. Um, 
That you know what? They're, they're hot takes for a reason. They're not really supposed to... They're supposed to be quite spicy, Stan. I, I'm not sitting here, you know... That was fucking molten, Joe, that take. What was your... Your hot take was awful, Stan. It was just... Like... My hot take was one play away from happening. Yeah, but your hot, hot take, take would be someone the wins Bengals the game. beat the Browns as your hot take. It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like... Vanilla. Outrageous. You need to go into specifics. You're not, if you're not backing up. Five touchdowns for Ryan Tannehill. Five touchdowns for Ryan Tannehill versus the best defence in the NFL. That's no. Yeah, that's why it's a hot, spicy take, oh, Stan. Basically, I'm Stan, and happen. Basically, okay, well, my prediction for next week is that Zion Williamson comes in and throws seven touchdowns for the Saints. There you go. Let's go. That's a hot, juicy take. Well, I will take, I will take that looks. bet, sir. <laughs> and that's how you get shanghai into a sandwich. <laughs> Moving back towards the Steelers and the Ravens, though. Slew, who's who holds the upper hand in this game for you? The Steelers. Because we've already seen what happens a couple of times this year when the Ravens can't get their running game working. If they get that going early, then the Steelers will be susceptible to the play-action pass. We saw it against the Titans. Once they started getting back into it, they were able to have a bit more success. But one in the first half, when the Steelers shut down Derrick Henry, the Titans couldn't really move the ball at all. So I think the Steelers have the advantage based on the strength of their units. I mean, they haven't really been beaten on the ground until last week at all. Miles Sanders had one big run against him in the Eagles game, but apart from that, they did nothing. So I think the Steelers have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would I would agree with you there, Slewy. I, I think. The way that the Steelers have played thus far, especially on defense against the run, makes me worry for this Ravens team because we've seen, again, the same old problems of not really being able to you know, come back with their style of offense. It's very difficult to come back into games if they get themselves into a hole early. And I mean, On that it, note, that was what was impressive about what the Titans were able to do because I was worried about them. If they fall behind, are they going to be able to come back into games? But they showed that they were able to and do that's that. That's what I was going to say. You know, it kind of, you know, that style of offense can work. You can get back into a game. It takes ages. It just takes a while. <laughs> it's fucking ages, and you and you basically need to. It's. I'd say it's a style of offense where if your defense, your defense needs to be on it and needs to be able to step up in crucial moments because it is likely to take you longer to get level with games because of that style of offense, you need your, if your defense is struggling or gives up big plays, then it's just not going to work, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if most defenses give up big plays and they're most likely to lose a game. So I... But, yeah, yeah, but like the Chiefs, the Chiefs can respond yeah. quickly. It doesn't yeah. happen as much if you're a run-heavy um, team. It's about that like bend, bend not, not break defense. You can't have that and a run first offense because mm. you you simply run out of time right and also up until the missed field missed kick everything the titans did in the second half worked there was no room for error you have to have big turnovers and you have to play mistake free football basically you can't have wasted drives if you're that far behind and you run in the ball yeah. joe how say you on this game ravens are going to win it mate ravens going to win it i'm a bit well, scared I'm a bit scared. I think it was in all likelihood could be a very low scoring game, to be honest. Um, I think it'd be a bit, a bit of a battle of the defenses, two of the best defenses in the league. Um, I've got faith that we'll force enough turnovers throughout the game to put us in better field position. We might have to rely on a lot of field goals 
you know, blind faith, some may, some may call it, but I've, I've got faith in defence. That's all right. Um, I'm going to stick with Sloan Matt here, and I'm going to back the Steelers this week against the Ravens. Sorry? You're wrong. Right. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Well, We're allowed to be wrong. We were wrong last week. But you're Can wrong. I just say that I, I don't, as well, like, if you've got any chance of winning, Lamar Jackson needs to play a hell of a lot fucking better than he did against the Eagles. Otherwise... I don't mind if he throws for 150 yards and <laughs> runs for over 100 yards again. That's fine with me. 150 it won't be. Yards that won't be. I don't think that'll be enough to win. No, Lamar Jackson will not. Rush I said it, it depends on how how well. It, it depends on. You're right. It depends on the flow of the game. If it's low scoring, those rushing yards plus whatever your running backs manage will probably be enough. But the way I think the game's going to go in terms of, I can see it being fairly high scoring. I don't think 150 yards through the air is going to do a Joey, if I'm honest. I don't, I don't see it being that high scoring, but... It often is, though. Even when you two have good defences, you both somehow manage to play high-scoring football. It's a bit weird, actually, like between you two. Isn't it a lot more fun, though, this year, especially when, when they've got uh, Roethlisberger back, we're not playing against the Duck Man? Unfortunately, that is all we've got time for this week, but... If you do find that yourself in need of some more drop-back content, then head over to our YouTube channel where you can catch me interviewing the Coventry University Defensive Coordinator and WASPs video analyst, Cassie and Graham. Boom. Yeah, it's a really good interview. It's nice to see how they sort of filter into each other as jobs. Absolutely. Interesting. So catch up on that on our YouTube channel, The Dropback, so you can find us there, and on our website, thedropback.co.uk or .com. How are you feeling? Our Instagram is the Dropback. Our Twitter is once again the Dropback, and our Facebook is the Dropback UK. So go run us up and hit us up all over those social medias. And until then, I've been Stan. I've been Sam. I've been Matt. I've been Joe. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Peace. The Dropback with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Stan Wilson. Contingency host. Da, 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 da. Wheel back the contingency host. <laughs> <laughs>